is this? Ah, the French. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? I'm here, Papa! Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. First listen to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. My wife hated me being a firefighter. We were divorced nine months later. If you don't mind my saying, I don't like your attitude one bit. Inspired. Six times I've now ruined my whiskey. But I'm your race. Look, I'm under what? I just want to do whatever serves the corporation best. Good night, Mr. Wanderson. Good night. Gentlemen, this is the Democracy Manifest. Recording from a luxury gondola high above Mont Smaug. This is World Champion Podcast Season 3. My name is Brighton. And I'm Sean. We are two gentlemen who signed a lucrative contract with the mysterious Senior Oro Del Burro. Now we have the pleasure of recording the greatest podcast in the world. We talk about anything and everything we feel like. And I want to emphasize obscure and forgotten corners of pop culture, other mysteries of the world. We talk good, we talk true, we talk fast. You never know what you're going to get. Yes. It's Harrison Ford month, week two. It is. We got, but before we dive into more Harrison Fordness. Yeah. All this snow, all this beautiful, fluffy snow reminds me of something. I, I, I almost, tonight at dinner, I took my traditional dinner and made a pile into kind of a pile of snow. Oh, did you make a, uh, a Mont Smaug model out yes. of your potatoes? I think, and I think, you, yeah, you, I think you know what I had for dinner. Oh, absolutely, because it is December. Mm-hmm. Mary Starchmas from Smogville. Mary Starchmas. We escaped the muck and the dreck and even the smog of Smogville. In our luxury gondola high above it's true. Mont Smaug, the luxury ski resort. But that doesn't mean we're not within the borders. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate the traditions. Mm-hmm. So We're ha- traditional guys. We love it. We love the holiday season. And we love Starchmas. We love ha- starch. Happy Starchmas. <laughs> December is potato month. It is. That's right. And as you recall, the, the tradition of Smogville, once December begins, the potato consumption begins. You're full into potato season. Big time into potato season. And how does this work again? Every meal, Mm -hmm. potatoes. You wake up for your breakfast sliced potatoes. Yeah, let's just do the classic meals. Let's break it down. Yeah, the tradition. I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. So I get the breakfast sliced potatoes and I put American cheese on each Mm -hmm. slice. I just, I usually just have a baked potato with nothing on it. I just like the pure baked potato. Do you, now, so, because this is first upon rising. So when do you put it in? Well, some corners of the gondola kind of catch the sunlight, right? So I'll just lay the potato out the night before. Oh, And then I wake up to the smell of a nice cooked potato in the windowsill of this gondola. And first thing in the morning to us is usually around noon. Right. But but we're adjusting it for Mm -hmm. inflation. So, So, Or at home, you can put a potato in the oven for seven hours at 180 degrees. It'll do the same thing. Yeah, I advise it. (laughs) Because inside the gondola, it's 180 degrees, I guess. Now that I really break down the numbers. Well, it's rough. you got to crack those windows. Yeah, once in a while. Then your mid-morning french fries, and you mm. can top them with whatever you want. That's right. Sriracha? That, that's Curry? what I go for, usually. I like, I like to top them in brown. brown. Oh, brown. Brown, I, brown sauce. Brown sauce, Yeah. Even. Okay. Yeah, just a hot brown, brown on, fry. Oh, nice. That sounds yeah. delicious. Yeah, brown on a, on a fry. And that will hold you over until... Is Tuesdays next? What's the next yeah, one? Yeah, next is Tuesdays. That's what I thought. The tater tots. Tater tot Tuesdays. Two o'clock, just eat as many tater tots as you can fit in your mouth. But not too many because you don't want to spoil your appetite for 4 p.m. Mashed potatoes. Mm, big, and that's when I made the big Mount, Mount Smaug. 
Just replica by the, by the handful. By by the mount. <laughs> yeah, by the the handful of mashed potatoes. It's so satisfying. If you haven't tried it, I was skeptical at first too. Right. Give it a try. Mm-hmm. Handful of mashed potatoes. The hand seasoning makes it good, and then that'll hold you over until seven p.m. The you know the cornerstone of the day. If that's a saying, is that a saying? It is, yeah, of course. The cornerstone that's of the day. That's when you have the classic baked potato with all the fixins. All the fixins, powdered butter. Oh, just as much powdered butter as you can get out of the little thing. You hit the little pole, and powdered butter comes powdering out, you know? And then your bedtime hash brown. That's right, bedtime then, hash brown. And then pleasant, start again. Pleasant dreams. That's right. And you're going to have pleasant dreams. Mm-hmm. Start yeah. again, yeah. Start. Carbs, man. It's, a lot of people are carb deficient here. Mm-hmm. So you need those carbs. It is the holidays. It's December 1st. It's the Christmas season. I have a question for you. Okay. Are you familiar with the Christmas classic, Alvin and the Chipmunks? David and Seville, Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas. The, like the Christmas song? The Christmas album, yeah. The yeah. Oh, yeah, of yeah, songs. yeah. Course, I am, yeah. I am. It's, a cl- it's a masterpiece of, of Christmas music from... Mm-hmm. I don't know. 50s, 50s right? 50s, probably. I think it's the mid-50s. But So I was listening to it this weekend as I was trimming the tree. You got your tree up already? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. We were real excited. It's my first tree as a grown-up. Uh, wow. I'm Con- nearly 40 years old. This is my first tree as a grown-up. So Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a big moment for me. I'm okay. very excited. All right. Um, so I got the tree up, trimming it, listening to David Seville's Alvin and the Chipmunks. So the premise is David Seville, it, this comes, becomes fleshed out later in all the movies is and the series. Is. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the album, David Seville is some sort of Record producer slash chipmunk guardian. Uh-huh. I believe he's adopted the chipmunks. I think that's the case in the TV shows as well. Yeah. Now, Alvin and the rest of them, to a lesser degree, are all real rascals, mm-hmm. real troublemakers. The album is chock full of David Seville sort of trying to coax Alvin to, to sing the words correctly. Mm-hmm. On almost every track, he yells at Alvin. <laughs> right. So were, does that mean these were the best takes? Why did he release the ones with the bloopers? Well, I imagine dealing with Alvin, it, it, he's kind of the, the furry rodent version of Iggy Pop. So mm. those were the days they were catching him the, the most cooperative, the most sober, the least wild, you know? And, and still it, it resulted in... Alvin! Yeah, you got to keep in mind, this is a little rock star that refuses to wear pants. That's true. He, he wears a T-shirt, no pants. That's true. So just that right there is going to cause you problems. But I, I guess so. I guess they just had a limited time in the studio and just... And he just thought, this is the best one, even though you can hear me yelling. Because there's not a lot of Beatles records where George Martin is saying, I'm sorry, Paul, you're going to have to do that again. Ringo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I would like that. I would sort of like the outtakes where they get in arguments and yell... Not even arguments. They're just goofing around, and, and the producer's just screaming at them. So there's just a drum solo in the middle of Norwegian Wood, mm. and George Barton goes, pardon me, Ringo. Ringo. Ringo! Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Also, this was the 1950s. They're recording on reel-to-reel. They're not, this isn't like a computer where you can just delete the last track, they have a certain amount of tape. Maybe there's thousands and thousands of hours just yeah. ruined. I guess, I mean, I haven't looked. Maybe there is a box set of, of outtakes, much like the Beatles anthology, mm-hmm. which had the outtakes, where, you know, sometimes they'd be playing a song and stop, and yeah, yeah, they're really, like, oh, I screwed it up. Yeah, they're, so and they're goofing around yeah. quite a bit, too. Yeah. 
John Lennon would do all all types of like silly voices and stuff. That's true. Yeah. So I just assumed it was just your typical kind of rock star behavior. And they all have handlers. All these rock stars have handlers. That's I don't know unless unless they accidentally sent the outtakes to the the record press. Oh, maybe it was a mix up. Oh God, that was the the, the ultimate Alvin. The loudest he ever yelled, Alvin, is like, "Hey, Alvin, will you put this in the postage and mail it off to get your record made?" Sure thing. <laughs> and then he puts it in, and mails it away. And then, and then, like the next day, Dave comes in and sees, like, well, the masters are right here. Why didn't you send away the album? And then Alvin just runs away. And he goes, "I did send it in, Dave." <laughs> and then he's just like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! No, 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 no! The outtakes!" And then I guess they're already in. They're they're in so deep, money wise. They're just like, "All right, well, this is this is what happens." Well, and David's job was on the line. Yeah. In the first place, which is why he had to find a novelty act because mm-hmm. all his '50s crooners and doo-wop yeah. outfits weren't working. So he's like, "Okay, how about these humanoid chipmunks?" And we all know those big wigs at the the record label. They want an album done by a certain date. Yeah. So it was probably down to the wire, wrangling with these awful chipmunks. Yeah, and he can't admit that he screwed up. Right. It's his job. Yeah. It's his career, and who knows? He's probably underwater financially, and just. That's what happens. That's how, that's how you get the outtakes as the, the as album. As the original album. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm glad I brought it up. Right. We figured that we out. We figured that out. All right. I got something for you to help me out with now. Yes. Over the weekend, this Thanksgiving weekend, I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off just okay. randomly because you just watch TV. You watch literally whatever's on. Yeah. And first of all, that movie is a masterpiece. I'd forgotten how incredibly good it is. It, it's, it's fantastic. But at the end, Ferris Bueller is heading home. His sister hates him, she, and it mm-hmm. seems like her biggest issue with him is she's jealous that he gets away with everything, and, and everyone loves him, and she can't get away with anything, and she's not beloved. Yeah. So at the very end of the movie, he's heading home to, you know, from, his, from sneaking out on his sick day, and his sister's coming home from the police station with their, their mom, and, and they, she almost hits him, and then they look at each other, and Ferris Bueller runs and then, and then her sister starts hauling ass in the car trying to beat Ferris Bueller home to get him in trouble. Right. And at, when they get home, they, the principal, who's a com- complete psychopath, he's waiting there and he's caught Ferris, right? Yeah. And the sister is in the house. And, and the, the principal says, like, I finally caught you. You're going to stay back a year. You're not going to college. I've ruined your life, all this stuff. And the sister intervenes after tr- the whole movie trying to get him caught and trying to get him in trouble. His sister intervenes, and my girlfriend was asking me, why does she do this? Why does she not let Ferris Bueller get in trouble? Hmm. And I thought about it and thought about it, and I could not figure out why she wouldn't. Because she, she really kind of hates Ferris. So she, yes, she makes up a whole alibi for him about the hospital or something? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She says, like, oh, you wandered out. You wandered, walked home from the hospital. You're delirious. And then tells the principal, oh, by the way, if, here's your wallet that he had dropped in the house earlier when he had snuck in. But, there's, but up to that point, because my argument or, or my point of view was that when the sister was at the police station, her pep talk from Charlie Sheen drugged out Charlie Sheen Gave her a change of heart. So I was like, oh, yeah. She talked to Charlie Sheen, and he said, like, what, so why do you care about what your brother does or whatever? Yeah. You're jealous. And then they're making out. And so I said, oh, that, that, that was a change of heart for her. But then my girlfriend pointed out. But then 
she still tries to race him home to beat him home to get him, him in trouble. Hmm. So, yes, I think change of heart caused by Charlie Sheen. It was just a gradual change of heart? Or? No, I think the racing home is still... Just, just You still want to... Yeah, exactly, for pride. Change of heart, but there's still that sibling rivalry. Okay. She still thinks he's a screw-off, a mm-hmm. dweeby, a... <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the, the spiel. Who <laughs> gets away with that? I can't remember yeah. either. Gets away with everything. Yeah. So she still wants to be able to... She, okay, what, she had the change of heart, uh-huh. but she needs him to know that she's had that change of heart because then she has the power still. Okay. She has the hand. So now Ferris knows that she could have ratted him out and didn't, and now she's got the upper hand in the relationship. That's a pretty good... Because if she had gotten home after him... Then it's just he gets away scot-free. There's no proof. Now he owes her. Okay. I'll buy that. My girlfriend is real adamant that, that, that that's not the case, that she still hates him. And so if anyone listening at home has a theory on why the sister no longer hates Ferris at the end, yeah. write us in. Let us know. Write us in on Facebook. On Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'll I, check the email. You, if you want to check Are the email. Scared? I just have too much anxiety over checking the email over too many times of, of opening our inbox and having strangers yell at us. Okay. All right. Okay, I'll check it. You check it then. Okay, you oh. deal with it. All right. And if you have emails that have been sitting there for six months, that's why. We need to do an email yeah. episode coming up soon. Yeah, that's, that seems only fair. It's, it's, it's the Starchmas season. And by people yelling at us, I mean they're mad that we don't put out five episodes a week like one of those mm-hmm. movies by minute shows. Ah, they're okay. not mad at us because we're anything less than the world champions. So it's much like Ferris Bueller's sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Towards us. We're Ferris Bueller. Our listeners are Ferris Bueller's sister. So they should know exactly why she had a change of heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, f- cool. Fair enough. Harrison right. Ford All month, right. week two. Speaking, speaking of emails and demand, we, you demanded it and we listened. You wanted more Amish episodes. Absolutely. You, we, we don't have room to store these little carved, painted wouldn't cheap anywhere else. By the hundreds. Everybody stopped me on the street. The emails, the robocalls. Yeah, it was just like... The hashtags, world champion witness. Mm-hmm. When are you going to talk about more Amish stuff? When, when is the Amish episode? So here it is, Harrison Ford month, episode two of it, Witness. Witness from 1985, directed by Peter Weir, mm-hmm. later of The Truman Show, and... Master and Commander. Master and Commander, wonderful film, that one. What's the one that I was looking through? There's a couple. I was impressed with his, his repertoire. Well, this, yeah, and he, I mean, he was a big deal in Australia, too, before he made this. Oh, was he? Okay. Um, but, yeah, what, what is our mandate? Forgotten pop culture. Mm-hmm. We say Harrison Ford month. Someone who hasn't been listening long enough is going to think, sweet, Raiders, right. Air Force One, mm-hmm. Harrison flying helicopters around, rescuing people in Jackson Hole. Right. Blade Runner. Nope. No. Better. Witness. Witness. Well, this is a great movie, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Witness, 1985, it uh, was Harrison Ford's first starring role that was not a sci-fi fantasy adventure type movie. It was his first top-billed starring kind of serious role. Dramatic role. Where he was playing a real adult in the real world. Oh, wow. That kind of, I didn't even think of that while watching it. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, so the script... Was a, the, the writers of the script were writers for Gunsmoke, which was on the air for, I don't know, 47 years, something right. like that. 
And this was originally the outline to an unfinished Gunsmoke script. That's incredible. Where the marshal had to go to the Amish community and because yeah, there's so, so many weird. so many Amish communities in the wild wild west. Mm-hmm. I actually I don't know where Gunsmoke took place. Maybe it's old west. I don't know Philadelphia. I think no. I think it was like Texas or something. Seems like it ought to be. Mm-hmm. So they did this, and uh, they originally turned in a script that would have, when filmed, been three hours. And what devoted was in that? and devoted much more time to Amish culture, more time to Amish yeah. culture. So they said, well, we, "Man, we this has got some hot Amish action. We so, got a, a barn raising, we got a birdhouse repair. What else we got? We got dancing. We got, it's, this is the most hardcore triple X Amish stuff you've ever seen. Dan- so yeah, so teat milking. Yeah, teat. We got teat milking. We got big Amish breakfasts. Mm-hmm. So. so they they uh, so they trimmed it down, obviously." Tightened it up, uh, sent it to Harrison Ford's agent. Harrison was interested, agreed to do it. Why? Okay, I'm glad that it's come, that came up. Yeah. One of my biggest questions is why did Harrison Ford make this movie? I think because it it was gonna be his first starring role that wasn't uh, you know some kind of fantasy horseplay. It wasn't. Now, he famously did not enjoy making Blade Runner. Right. He didn't like the end result. I, I don't think, well, I don't think he's ever enjoyed the process of making a movie. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think that's probably it. He's probably getting offers for well, what I mean Adventure by that. Man in Space. That's true. Two. And I guess he wanted to break that. I'm like the sci-fi space guy. But, but even <sighs> so, if you, if you hear this, if someone pitches this to you, you're like, all right, check it out. You're going to be a cop who has to protect a little Amish boy that, that witnessed a murder by going into the Amish community and milking cows and raising barns and, and having some intense desire with an Amish lady. That's the best of all worlds. <laughs> he gets to be the cop who's... The, they even spell it out for you. He's the only cop that knows what he's doing. Right. He's an action man. He's principled. Mm-hmm. Then he also gets to do the fish-out-of-water story. Okay. And then, you know, he doesn't... I mean, I guess he does have to wear sort of the Amish costume, but he doesn't have to act in front of models and blue screens at the time. And yeah, it probably was, it felt more like making a, a, a play or a real movie. And it's a, yeah, a real movie. And not to discount his other movies, which are probably seven out of ten of my favorite films of all time, right. his famous movies up to this point. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I can see why he'd want to do it. And it's a tight script. They teach, the, uh, they teach it in screenwriting classes of how to... This, this how to, script? Yeah, just the, specifically the structure of it is, like, sort of the template of, like, a tight thriller script. Hmm. Not necessarily the content, but just the way it's laid out. Okay, you'll have to spell that out more to me as we go along. Well, yeah, that's, that's, for, that's I w- extracurricular. I, I wasn't taken with this as much as Fugitive. Yeah, and I don't think you were taken with this as much as me. I watched it uh, as a kid, and then I watched it again last year for the first time as, a, as an adult, and I loved it. Okay. And so, I, yeah, I think we're, we're a little differing on that. So what are, what are Amish people? Is that, I, I assume yeah. that's... That's the first question you have. Yeah, and anybody I, has. I assume that is uh, common knowledge, but maybe it's not. They're primarily on the sort of middle of the East Coast of the United States, the Midwest, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania in particular, spread out, Canada. They uh, came over after a split in the Anabaptist church Mm -hmm. in the early 1700s, the same time everyone else was coming to America. 
Um, their thing is that they don't want to be connected to the world. So they, uh, from the start, have been isolated and very insular, which, of course, uh, fires up the imagination. Right. Uh, well, so there's that. And they also don't like technology. They won't use... Yeah, and after, after we're done talking about the movie, uh, because what I like to do is talk about a movie and then go a little more in depth on some sort okay, of background we'll thing. So we're going to talk about the Amish after we've talked about the movie as a whole. But yes, they, they, uh, they shun technology, zippers, cars. Zippers uh, even. Yeah, that's in the movie. Yes, about zippers. Oh, I must have missed that, yeah. that moment. All right, so... We've got we've got a pretty all star cast in in a in, not at the time but will become a lot of pretty well I guess is is Kelly McGillis famous at that point This is I believe this is pre top first Gun. role Is it her first role Yeah she was working in a coffee shop Oh okay when this happened So yeah Kelly McGillis of Top Gun I had a poster of her on my wall I, I as a kid uh, Tom Cruise was also in that poster mm-hmm. <laughs> But. Yeah, this is this is probably the year before. Isn't Top Gun eighty six? Yeah, so this is the year before. So two right out of the gate, two top build roles with America's biggest Hollywood stars. Wow, no kidding. That's pretty good. And that's way good. And then the the little boy. I happened yeah. to watch part of Inception this weekend, and that's the little boy. Oh, I forgot he's an Inception. He's an Inception. Yeah. Lucas Haas of uh, well, what's that movie everyone loves? Hocus Pocus. He's great. He's a, just adorable little kid. I really, when kids are in movies, a lot of times they're just irritating to me. Yeah. But I really was concerned for his welfare. I really didn't yeah. want the, him to be murdered. <laughs> but he was good, and I, I think part of the reason he was good is because he didn't have much to do. He didn't have to say a lot of lines. He was emoting with his eyes and stuff, yeah. though. He was he, wide-eyed and a scared little boy. As he would be. Right. As the character would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's had a great career. I think he was uh, Mars Attacks. I love Mars Attacks. Mm-hmm. Eerie, Indiana, that show. Remember Eerie, Indiana? Short-lived. He, he's never broken out as a huge star, but he's, he's in everything. You know, He's in lots of stuff. Yeah, he's, he's not hurting for cash, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And then did you see the little baby face? Speaking of baby that was face the, that and was adorable. That the biggest surprise. Yeah. It's is like three-fourths of the way through the movie. So that, you know, there's all these Amish people. And then suddenly, yep. Aragorn. Aragorn, <laughs> you got son me. of Arathorn, LSR, <laughs> king of men. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Just, I don't think he even had a line. I don't think he did either. There's a part where it looks like he's talking, but you don't hear anything. Right, and I just, he's so baby-faced and young. It yeah. kind of blew my mind. Yeah, his first role as well. And also, the, what, so was the, the rival Amish guy the, the bad guy in Die Hard? Yeah, that's Carl from Die Hard. That's what I thought. Hans Gruber's uh, associate, and we're going to talk about him later, too. Mm-hmm. Fascinating all right. character. All right, that's a cool, cool. Oh, Danny Glover, too. And then Danny Glover. In this has to be the only role where he's a villain, right? I know. Can you I, imagine him being a bad guy I, in I, anything? I almost had a hard time with him as a villain in this because you know so much about him, you know, yeah. as an actor. Did I remember to tell you that I, I saw him at my work last year? Danny Glover? Yeah, it was crazy. I worked, uh, I don't have this job anymore, but I worked in a performing arts center in an office there, and they sometimes screen, not sometimes, Every mm-hmm. time for many years, they screen Sundance films. So I walked into work and then literally I opened the door and he's just standing right there, just chilling. <laughs> and uh, there were a lot of kids. There was like field trips there to see this Sundance movie. So mm-hmm. they were talking to him. And, wow, that's and he was pretty real awesome. Nice. Yeah, he was hanging out for a long time. And so, yeah. Had you just seen Witness and you were kind of scared? You of know, him? it wouldn't have been that long after I saw Witness. So, yeah, yeah I didn't go into the bathroom, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let's let's get into it. So uh, we start off with an Amish funeral. We got Amish people all over the place. They're speaking. Uh, in the film, they're actually speaking just regular German, which is not what Amish people speak. They speak Pennsylvania Dutch, which is not Dutch at all, mm-hmm. but uh, that confusion between Deutsch and then mm-hmm. English speakers think it's Dutch. Uh, the first line in English we get is about a horse with a ruptured testicle. So we're <laughs> off to a good start. You were talking about that tight script. Yeah, coming in hot. And then we get Carl, bad guy from Die Hard. Mm-hmm. So Kelly McGillis, uh, whose name is, what is her name? Mrs. Lapp. Mm-hmm. And her son, Lucas Haas. So her husband has died. We never find out why. So she is going. Kicked uh, by a horse, I imagine. Yeah, probably kicked by a horse. Probably or a barn. T- we hear a lot about barn raisings, but not yeah. a lot about barn fallings. Barn fallings, yeah. Samuel Lapp and Rachel Lapp. Yes, Rachel. So they're uh, going to the train station in Philadelphia. They're going to board a train to visit her is, sister in Baltimore. Is this the first movie he did after Blade Runner? Uh, is that the one? Because his love interest in that is also named Rachel. And they have very similar seduction scenes. That's interesting. Oh, weird. He seduces both Rachels the same way. Harrison Ford <laughs> has a way with Rachels, and that is to... Stare at them weirdly. and we'll, <laughs> Yeah, stare at them we'll weirdly and really... So Blade Runner, then Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom, then Witness. So, so Empire Strikes Back, Raiders, Blade Runner, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom. Wow. You can see why then he'd want to be like, I don't want to... He's like, I want to be wanna a farmer. Be, I don't want to be suspended by wires. I want to be a cop that goes to a farm. I wonder, and he, in real life, was a, uh, before he became an actor, was a carpenter, right? Yeah, and this so thing is So the loaded. woodworking, the woodworking must have really appealed to him. This thing is loaded with Harrison Ford in-jokes. Oh, is it? Such as that they, he used, to, Harrison Ford was a carpenter, and they right. bring that up. And then there's, I was reading about this, there's a scene at the breakfast table where he says, honey, that's great coffee. Right. And they're taking it back, and he says, oh, it's a line from a commercial. That was a commercial that he auditioned for and did not get. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so Rachel, the husband's died. Right after this little funeral, what I, what I noticed right away is, is you wouldn't know it was a modern film until about 10 minutes in where it shows a, a buggy and a horse and there's cars behind yeah, it. Yeah, and then the truck's behind it and everything. Uh, I just watched the M. Night Shyamalan's, whatever his name oh, is. Oh, uh, The Village? The Village. And so oh, that yeah. kind of, I, I picked up on that. I was like, you would think that the, this took place 100 years ago oh, up so to that you, point. So you thought this was a twist. I thought that was 10 minutes twist. in. Yeah, I was like, they, wow, they did the twist early on. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't leave me hanging for two hours like M. Night. <laughs> Carl from Die Hard, he's got giant teeth. He's weird, and you think he's going to be, he, he's rivals with Harrison Ford. Uh, just what I like about this is at the end of the movie, he turns out to just be a decent guy. Right. There's no, he Who, never, who's, who's slightly jealous. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> jealous of Harrison Ford because we're all jealous of Harrison right, Ford. Right, I know. I, I, I identified with this character. Yeah, and you know, he had his thing going. He was trying to be to take care of them and their can, can grief. You, and, can you imagine if Harrison Ford came into a, a group of friends, how, oh, yeah. how all the, the women would be, would be acting? We'd all be jealous. We'd all be jealous, or even just at all. Right. What if, what if uh, Senior mm-hmm. came down and then says, hey... I, I think you guys need a third. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, no, Jonas is busy tonight. And you're going to say, like, no, I got someone else. Hi. And then he's toweling himself off. He's taking his shirt off for some reason. Yeah. Comes walking in. Because he came in from the rainstorm, so he just takes his shirt off, towels himself yeah. off. Starts toweling himself off. So what's the topic tonight? So, yeah, so I really identified with diehard bad guy, Blondie. 
And, and as they send him off, they say the line, you be careful among the English. So everyone who's not Amish is referred to as English. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to the train station. Lucas goes into the bathroom. An eventful bathroom trip. And there's a guy washing his hands. Then another guy comes and puts a towel over the guy's head. Mm-hmm. Danny Glover storms in with a switchblade and slices his throat. Little boy watches it all. Through the stall. What I love about this is Danny Glover clearly had no plan at all here. <laughs> because then he's holding the bloody knife and he's looking around and he's going like, shit, what do I do with this? And then mm-hmm. he finds the garbage can. He's like, oh. And he washes Throws it in the hand. garbage can, yeah. Because when they find the body, they're not going to check the garbage can for the murder weapon. <laughs> then wash his hands. They don't even have a lookout. They're in a crowded train station. That's what I kept in thinking. In a major urban area. As he was kicking the doors open on all the stalls, a dozen people could have walked in yeah. to go to the bathroom. Have you ever been to a bathroom in a center for mass transit? Yeah. Has it ever not been I know. full of people? I've just been flying a lot, and I've never yeah. been into a bathroom at an airport that doesn't have a dozen people in it. Yeah. So, so luckily, they were just in Philadelphia. Yeah. A small little town. (laughs) Yeah, that little hamlet. You have all the time in the world. So Lucas very uh, cleverly conceals himself because Danny's suspicious. Uh, McPhee is his name. Danny Glover's McPhee. McPhee's Mm -hmm. suspicious that, uh, we'll we'll call him by the character's name. Samuel is is in there. So he locks the door. Uh, So there's no feet there. The door's locked. It must be out of order. But he kicks it anyway. And as he's kicking it in, he slides under into the next stall. Mm -hmm. And then, and then Samuel stands on the toilet. Yeah. Which Danny Glover is at first, uh, what's it, McPhee? McPhee is baffled at first. Yeah. And then sort of relieved and then leaves. But yeah. do you think on the, the drive home, suddenly it occurred to him, who locked that from the inside? This is like a Sherlock Holmes story where some, there's a yeah. dead body and he's in a room and, and it's been locked from the inside. And he was, it turns out he was standing on an ice cube or yeah, something. Yeah, Sherlock or... Holmes did not kick the door open and then be like, Oh, what a relief. No murderer in here. Better head home. It's just locked from the inside. Oh, it's just locked from the inside like bathroom stalls are. When there's literally no way to lock them from the outside. There's no way. You'd have to lock it and then crawl under the stall and get out and leave. Unless it closed in a a real random hard slam and it made the bolt fly out, which is the only McFeasible thing. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been in a bathroom in a public transit center where the floor was not covered in several inches of human urine. <laughs> no. So this prankster, this hilarious prankster, <laughs> this Alvin, this modern-day Alvin, right? locked the door and then crawled underneath for, for no reason other than for there to be one stall out of order. For, for no re- that would inconvenience a stranger in the future. Yeah. Well, it's not like McPhee is a celebrated detective. That's true. As we find out. So enter book. Mm-hmm. What is his name? John Book? It's John Book. It was a great name. Yeah. It, was, it felt easy to remember. It felt like a cop name. I just, I just really liked it. It's a great name. John Book and says, who found the body? And he approaches a man who is James Earl Jones's father, who says, I just reported it. The kid found it. Mm-hmm. Harrison has never, uh, Detective Book has apparently never seen a child before or interacted with one. <laughs> he's going up to this frightened Amish kid, and he's like, come on, pal. <laughs> What'd you see? What'd he stab him with? We gotta catch this guy. Yeah, oh, speaking of catch this guy, then he does some stuff that I'm not sure cops I love can this. do. I love this. The next scene I thought was a little bit like, I'm not sure if this is by the book. You oh, know? right. That's, that's what we call ironic naming. That's right. He drags the, the Amish 
mother and son, terrified son who's just witnessed a murder. Over their objections, they're very loud objections. Their objections! They they don't want to be part of this. He forces them into a car, drives them to the the wrong side of town. To the 80s movie bar. Oh, yes. Is what that bar was called. Classic 80s movie bar for criminals. Yeah, where it's super crowded, just full full Mm. of smoke and, and... Thugs. It's the, basically the cantina, but in real life. Yeah, it is the cantina, or or the bar that the Flash rogues hang out at. Yeah, like the Flash villains. Grabs a random guy that he's going to harass, ta- drags him outside, slams his face <laughs> against the back <laughs> the seat window, yeah. and said, "Is this him, kid?" The kid, the mother and kid are terrified. Rachel and Samuel are, are petrified. Yeah, because in a city like Philadelphia, a little hamlet. It is like Gotham City. It right. is like the rogues. There's got to be only three or four criminals. And if a guy gets his throat slashed in a bathroom with no motive, unrelated to anything. Yeah, probably. Just head down to that crappy just bar. Find the, just find, you know, <laughs> Dr. Slicer with his switchblade. He, that's probably, I guess that was good old-fashioned. Listen here, it, Professor Switchblade. It is. It's good old-fashioned detective yeah. work. He, he heard that he got the throat slashed. He's like, who do I know that has a switchblade? Aha! That guy I was harassing last week. Yeah. So, yeah, so that... And then takes the kid and, and mother and Rachel to his sister's house just to spend the night without calling his sister. So this is what I like, is his partner says, what do we do with him? And we get our first Harrison Ford point. The first point of the movie. Points right in his face and says, I got an idea. Yes, takes him to the sisters without calling. I guess they didn't have cell phones, but still, it's the middle of the night. Hey, sis, will you take these strangers and... Let them sleep in your house. Yeah. And, oh, no, listen. The reason they're sleeping in your house is because there's murderers after them. <laughs> That's why. Right. I don't know. Is that the scene where we get an explanation that, that, of what John Book is like? That he has no That's family. That's the next morning. And that, the next yeah, morning, he yeah. has no family. He, the, the job's all he has and all this stuff. And I will say that is uh, the, the weak point on the script. Talk about tell, don't show. Mm-hmm. Where she is telling Book who what he is like. Well, this your ki- sister yeah. told me what you're like. Said you stop at nothing for justice. <laughs> Said you think you're always right, and usually you are. Yeah, that's pretty lazy. Yeah. I hope that, that part's not, not not taught in classes, right? Yeah, the the clunky exposition. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is may, because maybe that's what's a good example of a screenplay is why waste time with all this? Get it out of the way. Whose book? I want to know who John Book is. Maybe that's Just have true. Her say it. it might be. They've got to get to to the Amish land pretty quick. We're already twenty minutes into the movie. They got to get there. I don't know if you do have a good sense of what he's like within those yeah. few minutes because the first ten or fifteen are just the mom and kid. Yeah, and then. So you've only got about 10 minutes screen time with them. Maybe it is better just to say this is what this well, guy's like. Well, that's true, and how, it's a cliche in movies because so many movies do it, and there's got to be a reason because mm-hmm. they're like, look, we're here. You know, it's just like The Fugitive. We, we, we want to get to the part where he's running from the law. Right. So just get to the point. Uh-huh. Listen here, rich doctor. In fact, the, the re- speaking of The Fugitive, I'm glad you brought that up, because the, the reason behind this murder is similar to The Fugitive. Yeah. It's like the reason these, guys, these crooked cops are after these Amish people kind of doesn't matter. They have one yeah. scene where they explain that these crooked cops stole some kind of drug called P2P or something. They stole, uh, and this is years before Breaking Bad, so ahead of its time. Uh-huh. They stole, okay, so there, there's a scene in the, in, in the police station mm-hmm. where Samuel wanders off and then finds the police trophy case 
which has this giant newspaper portrait of McPhee mm-hmm. saying, like, narcotics officer helps youth. I like that. Because that's a, that's a front page story. I, I, st- I like that. I thought yeah. that was a really great touch because yeah. I didn't know where, where they were going with, with yeah. it. I, I didn't know. This is the first time I've seen it. Yeah. I, th- I saw it when I was a kid, but I can barely remember it. Because yeah. I, I remember the, the ending. Once we got to the end, I was like, oh, I've seen this. Yeah. The big fight scene in the barn. Yeah. But at that point, I was thinking, how are they going to find Danny Glover? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, he's a cop. He's a crooked cop. So he, book figures this out right away. So, yeah, there was evidence seized in 1978 or something. It all makes sense. And it's it's an ingredient for making amphetamines, for being speed. Mm -hmm. And then the guy that was killed was an undercover cop involved in this, and McPhee was involved in it. And now the evidence is missing. So McPhee stole the speed to sell it, I guess. It was, it, they said it was worth like $22 million or something. Something ridiculous, yeah. It was 50, wasn't it 40, 50-gallon barrels? I mean, that's the whole scene early on in Breaking Bad is them trying to steal something in a barrel. To oh, yeah. Meth, well, I mean, so. there's very few people that know how meth is made. So you can make up any word you want. You could say... He's got to get the clydrohethylene out of the out of the barrel. Yeah, and sell it. Yeah, and then as an as an audience member, you're like, okay, yeah, it's a chemical. Sounds like a chemical. <laughs> so in in another brazen display of indiscretion, Book is going to his apartment with his dry cleaning in this crowded parking garage in the early evening hours when people are coming and going, and he just shows up, guns a blazing. <laughs> I'm just gonna shoot at you a bunch of times. And I, I love, really, unsung heroes of cinema is Elevator Couple. Oh, yeah. That's my car. <laughs> the fat guy just screaming, like, ah! Ah! And then the woman says, that's my car. I did love how it ended, though. I know you, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Another point. Or was, or was the gun pointing? Might have been the gun. I think was, gun. that was a point with a gun. A big metal same. finger pointing. Yeah. He it gets fe- shot in the side. It probably felt really natural for Harrison Ford to say the line while pointing a gun. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's the like only a, way he knows. It's a permanent metal pointing hand. It's that's probably why, his yeah. favorite thing to hold while acting. That, yeah, that's why he plays so many gunman roles. Mm-hmm. Does he? Does he have lots of guns generally? He's got his gu- he's got his, his his laser pistol in Star Wars. He's got his blaster. He's got his Blade Runner gun that flings you across the room. He probably did one he's of. He's got his Indiana Jones killing the swordsman gun. Oh yeah, he does have a gun in that. Cause I was going to yeah. say, there's probably some Christian Bale meltdown type stuff on the set of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's arguing with George Lucas about the whip. Yeah. Cause he doesn't want to use the whip. Well, that's fa- famous cinema lore is the gun, the sword fight scene. Oh yeah. When he had diarrhea or something. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where he was supposed to have a whip battle with this guy. And he says, I have diarrhea. Can I just shoot him? I know, it's one of the best scenes in Raiders. Yeah. So, where are we at now? So now he goes, he goes and con, uh, book confronts the guy who I immediately knew was also part of the Crooked Cops. The captain. I don't know if that actor's been a Crooked Cop in lots of movies or something, but as soon as I saw that actor's face, I was like, well, he's also behind it. Well, and just the way he was acting, yeah. Who else knows about that? this? Just you and me. Oh, good. <laughs> Um, now, speaking of Harrison Ford having diarrhea, uh, here's some trivia. The final scene between John and Rachel was originally written with 10 pages of dialogue, but Harrison Ford was ill, so they just scrapped it. So that tear-filled, eyed, longing stare battle they had, their staring contest, 
was because he had diarrhea then also? Yeah, and that was way better because... It was way better. It was a very moving ending. It was moving. I can't believe that was just... They just winged that. Yeah. They were supposed to just talk and talk and, no, it'll never work. Yeah. You're an Amish and I'm not an Amish. <laughs> yeah. And I'm an English. Come to Philadelphia and be not Amish with me. Yeah. You can hang out with my sisters. Oh, uh, you know I'd never fed it, fit in here. So it's much better to have them both stare at each other because that's kind of what they do the whole movie. Yeah. Is stare at each other. <laughs> yeah. So he's shot and wounded and bleeding to death. He's taking them back home to keep them safe. Drops them off, and then he's going to go back, but instead just passes out. It's, it, drives through their field and crashes into their birdhouse. It reminded me exactly of the scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure when he gets on the motorcycle from the biker bar. Oh, I don't and, remember that. But. And then drives directly into a billboard that's yeah, on the ground sounds, yeah, and wrecks. Right. Yeah. So I, I laughed when that happened. I don't, I don't know if you're supposed to be upset when Book drives into the birdhouse. It was, uh, it was unintentionally funny, or maybe intentionally. I don't know. I don't think it's supposed to be funny at all. You don't think our, the protagonist of the story nearly dying from a gunshot wound is funny? I While causing destruction of property? <laughs> I know, a big birdhouse, too. Yeah. This ain't no little birdhouse. And then we get, like, 30 minutes of shirtless Harrison Ford as they patch him up. They give him some Amish clothes. He's going to stay there and protect them as an undercover Amish. That's weird. I had, I had some questions about farm life from watching this. He agrees to, to, to try to fit in. I don't even know why he agrees to do this. He's a yeah. cop that's, I guess, to say thanks for nursing me back to health when I almost died. Well, they like, don't, yeah. And but, I think he's, he must know that they're going to find them eventually. So he wants to, I don't understand why he can't just say I'm a cop and there's some murderers after your, your fellow Amish. No, so they I'm, knew that, though. So then, well, didn't they say it's my cousin from Ohio or something? Didn't yeah, so he was there to keep them safe. But, but they lied to everyone else in the community. Yeah. What, why? Why not just say this guy's got to stay here to protect us for a little while or something? Or just say this is a police officer? Well, I think that would be a little, uh, I mean, their whole thing is... No outsiders? And, and just like being very uh, humble. I think saying like, oh, we're so special, we need a cop to protect us. I think that goes against... <laughs> Amish yeah. beliefs. It's a little, little bit it's a little of a haughty. No, it's haughty. <laughs> okay. It's status. It's a status symbol. All right, maybe. One of the biggest status symbols you can have is a cop living in your house to protect you. Yeah, especially if it's Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think... Okay, let, let me talk about the farm stuff. I was going to just go wildly off subject. So, he, so Book agrees to help out the Amish do stuff, you know. What... Why do you have to get up at 4.30 to milk a cow? Why can't you milk a cow at noon? Why is it important to do that before dawn? That's, I have no idea. Yeah, because that's not an Amish thing. That's a farming thing. It's a farming thing, yeah. and I'm not from a farm. We're city boys. So, yeah, Amish Gandalf wakes him up and says, it's 4.30, <laughs> time for milking. Why? There was a... Uh, Why not milk him at 9 a.m.? There was a, a, a radio station in Salt Lake for years, and every... 4.30 p.m. and a.m. Even if they were in the middle of a song or a commercial, they would play, it's 4.30, time for milking. <laughs> okay. Why? Uh, to be weird, I guess. No, no, no. Not, not, not why is it. Oh, why, why are we Why, why are, we are the cow? cow why is it required to milk a cow at 4.30 a.m.? Because uh, you, then you got to let the milk cool down. Are you just waking up before the calves and you're like, I got to get to this milk before these little calves drink it all? That could be. Milk production levels, uh, large amounts of milk, dried off, how to 
dairy cows, infertility, more four main reasons, but why cow comfort? I like this because <coughs> if you're listening at home, it sounds like your brain is going through old files. It's not like you're just reading. Yeah, close your eyes and picture the words I'm saying floating around visually in front of your head. This is like Battlefield Earth, that scene where they have a machine that puts all the information in your brain. Do you remember that? I've never seen that. You've never seen Battlefield Earth? No. Well, wait until John Travolta month. February's John Travolta <laughs> month. Um, so we have ba- a bar. The, 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 like, there's, like a baked potato is the cornerstone meal of the day. You have the cornerstone of this film, the raising of a bard. In a long scene. It's a beautiful scene. Just with, beautiful. With uh, lots of, of old-fashioned action. And kind of a weird score. What did you think of the score to this movie? Yeah, the score was really odd. It was it had the same kind of score as Blade Runner. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is An it electronic, felt... ethereal, dreamy, spacey score. Yeah, I was like, why isn't this a banjo or something? Yeah, and I guess, I mean, the banjo would fit with our sense of farm and rural life, but it's not Amish music. So maybe it was, and I'm stretching on every single thing here, maybe it was deliberately to create an otherworldly effect because because he's an outsider book is is experiencing this otherworldly thing they're experiencing this with him being there so now the audience gets it with mm, that's again that's a little bit of a stretch but i'll buy it I'll it could have been that that was trendy in 1985 too which it was and it won some awards the the michael score. jar one of the most acclaimed film score composers of all time i just felt like it should have been a, a fiddle or a violin or you know what i mean I just couldn't, I just thought that, and I, I noticed it during the barn raising scene just because there was no dialogue and lots of shots of things, them doing things, and the yeah. score was louder in the mix. And lots of lemonade. Le- lots of lemonade. The Amish love their lemonade. The, if I learned one thing, lemonade, which I would, I would fit in fine. I love lemonade too. Yeah. I yeah, guess everybody loves lemonade. It's interesting. It, it, I, I think on its own, it's a really nice, uh, quiet, serene, I mean, it's loud, but it's a nice, serene kind of scene, but... This is a cop thriller, so it is kind of weird that it's the cornerstone of the film. But it's it's a, it's it's pretty long. Like I, yeah. I thought they must have actually the director must have owned some land and actually needed a barn to be built because it, I think they actually built an entire barn. They must have. They did use a lot of extras not, who were not Amish but were Mennonites, mm-hmm. which I don't look know. kind of Amish. They're similar. I don't know the difference. But they probably did. I mean, here's some of the uh, method that went into this. Kelly McGillis spent several months living with an Amish widow and her son. Months? Several months? Several months. And Harrison Ford joined the Philadelphia police force. <laughs> what? Really? Yep. Wow. Okay, that's, that's fine. I don't know if it really paid off. I felt like it was kind of just standard Harrison Ford. A little bit. It was a good, perf- not, not that it was a bad performance, but I, did, I don't know exactly what felt very policeman-like. Do you think a Philadelphia cop is watching it going like, yep, nailed it? Oh, man. I don't know. That's the tangent I was going to go off on. Do you think that there's Amish people that have seen this? They did not like the film. They must have seen it mm-hmm. um, because they, they decried that it was not an accurate portrayal of them. And they were really upset because it was going to increase... Like tourism, right? Tourism, which yeah. is even addressed in the film. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. Well, do you think this is... But I mean, when the, the... You know, just between you and me. Yeah. When when they sneak out and, you know, once in a while, they've, they've got, there's got to be some rebellious Amish who watch movies 
this has got to be the, one of the first ones they want to watch, right? It's like, have you heard? There's, I guess, I don't know if they'd even know who Harrison Ford is. No, they wouldn't. They're like, yeah. well, what movie should we watch? You know, it, just, it just seems like it would be something you'd find out about as yeah. an Amish. Because they'd just be telling stories. and Right. You'd be like, my cousin told me that his sister saw a movie about Amish. You know, I don't know if that accent was even remotely. It sounded, it sounded good to me. <laughs> we got to talk about the three-part seduction scene. These three scenes spread apart. Okay. So he's fixing his car mm-hmm. in, the, in the barn. On the second story of the barn second is what it seems like. Yeah. I couldn't figure out the barn geography exactly. Maybe, yeah, maybe the barn's on a hill. That's what I was, it must be. Yeah. So <laughs> it just seems so out of character for both these characters where he's working on his car, listening to the radio, uh, Sam Cooke comes on, mm-hmm. and Book is just thinking, oh, well, it's a good opportunity to just dance with this woman. <laughs> And sing, and it was really, it was a weird, it was like a proto-dirty dancing scene. Uh And he's like, oh, this is a great song. And he's trying to dance with her, and then Gandalf finds her and is really upset. Yeah, one one of my main issues, I had a few different issues with this movie. I liked it overall, but one of my issues was I didn't quite feel the the love story. It seemed just weird, like people acting weird. And maybe that's how it is to to court an Amish woman. It's going to be a strange experience, I guess. Well, and at first I was thinking her husband just died, but actually I, in the culture, like you get, you just, you're supposed to be married. So she might not have even liked her husband. Well, and yeah, I mean, perhaps, because they probably got married really young, but then also like part of your, your duty is to be married. So I think it's, oh, you, you need a new husband now and you kind of just get right to it. How much time? With uh, Carl from Die Hard. How much time elapsed from the funeral to the point where they're dancing? A month, a week. It couldn't have been more than a week, right? It seems. So I guess we don't. I guess we don't know how much time between the funeral and when they left. But from when they arrived in Philadelphia to now is what two, three days? I assumed they went to Philadelphia the next day. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. And then after they head head back to Amish country, Harrison for or book, he was. How long do you think he was in bed with his wound? Two days, three days. Because they had a few different shots of fever, dream, oh, that's true. delirious, yeah. John Book. But even you had the few days for that. We are still looking about one, maybe one week since her husband yeah. died. So, so, yeah. So she must not have been too fond of him. Yeah. Or again, it's Harrison Ford. Well, and then he's, Harrison Ford is just thinking, oh, she's washing her shirt in the sink. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go spy on her. Okay, that second scene. So what? I, I didn't even know what to think about that scene. He's outside watching, watching like the thunder or something, the, yeah. the, the, the lightning storm. She's yeah. inside giving herself one of those stand-up baths. And washing her shirt. Washing her shirt. In the sink. And then he just walks in, the doors open to the bathroom, and then she's topless, and they just stare at each other. And this is, he used a similar sexy face in Blade Runner. Harrison Ford's seduction face is, uh, imagine being as confused and frightened as you've ever been in your entire life. So he's looking at, at a topless woman, but you could cut that, that face, and he's looking at, at Pennywise eating a child, and it would make more <laughs> sense. His reaction would make more sense to that. Or he's watching the, the Normandy scene from Private Ryan, mm-hmm. where he's just horrified. baffled, horrified, confused, cannot process what's happening. And then 
And what's the third one then? Well, then it's so that that's not when they then later they have sex, right? I th- did they did they actually have that's sex? That's when they're outside. Just... They're outside in the wind and rain. I thought they just started kissing. Did they? Actually... I guess. I guess maybe. Yeah. I wasn't sure how far the relationship went. Yeah. How do you? I don't know how you show that though. How do you show? Because I mean, you you've got to show forbidden desire. Yeah. She can't be with him. He can't be with her. They can't show each other affection. And I guess it was effective in the sense that they have lots of shots of them looking at each other. Yeah. She's, she's serving food, and he's looking at her, and he's, he's working on something, and she's looking at him. And I guess that must... The because logical conclusion of that is you're both going to just be half-naked staring at each other. Because this, she is from a culture where they don't have the Western courtship rituals that we're used to. Right. So it would be, if she was feeling desirous towards him, what does she do? She's not going to go ask him out. She's not going to say, let's get some coffee sometime. She's just going to look has, at she it. She has no, she does not have any of the tools to, to do that. Right. So. And she can't even really be flirty. Yeah. She, there's no flirting. She doesn't know how to flirt. So they just kind of, she just kind of stares at him. Yeah. And he stares at her. And all she knows is, I want something that I can't even describe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it is more nuanced, I guess, than I'm, yeah. than I'm used to. And then it culminates with that final stare, which I found really moving, like you said. Yeah, where instead of 10, ten pages? 10 pages, ten pages of, of dialogue. Instead, Harrison Ford's like, no, nope, yeah. I got diarrhea. Let's, let's finish yeah. this. So these crooked cops, they kill his partner. They find out where he is. I felt real bad for the partner. Yeah. I, he was real likable. There's yeah. a scene where the chief is interrogating him, and he's sweating bullets. You can, yeah. Like, you can tell that he knows where Book is. Yeah. And then... Yeah, the oh gosh, we skipped over my favorite scene, where where the they run into the punks in town. Yeah, that's the most important scene. That's Aragorn, <laughs> Aragorn, Carl from Die Hard, Amish Gandalf, and Indiana Jones are strolling through town. They're on, they're and there's all these buggies. tourists here. Yeah, and the there's some punks that are going to yeah. harass the Amish. These disgusting punks. What kind of joy could those punks get out of this? Ew, you really hate them though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even though, even though Amish life is literally maybe a nightmare life. If I, if I die and go to hell, it'll be going to an Amish life. Going to Amish life. It was, but even so, even, so that, even though that looks like a nightmare, that when those punks are starting to, to just harass him, and, and the, the main one puts his ice cream cone on Carl's nose, yeah. you're, just, you're just furious. I want justice. Yeah, and they say, this is not our way. This is the best line of the movie, mm-hmm. or at least the most fist-pumping. Mm-hmm. Harrison has had enough. Mm-hmm. He wants to do some pointing right. with his fist. And um, the Amish are pacifists, I guess. It's not our way. And he goes, but it's my way. <laughs> it's effective. Mm-hmm. He gets out. And they're still just mocking him. They're yeah. still just like, what are you going to do? And then he just beats the just shit out. Just drops him like a sack of dirt. Yeah. Just like one punch to the gut. It punches him in the gut with his right hand and then in the face with his left. It's nice because... You think about how many movies you've seen where there's a hundred fistfights in one movie. Yeah. And this is a fistfight with about three punches, and it so, has so much impact. So satisfying. Yeah, so satisfying. The, and now is that – wait, was that what alerted them to – Yeah. Because then the cop yeah. calls the bad guy cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, so he got hoisted by his own petard right, right. there. Right, I know. But, I mean, what's he going to do? He has to do it. Yeah. He's <laughs> well, and he has to deal with the crooked cops at some point. Yeah. I, what, what was his plan, do you think? Do you think he had no plan? Yeah, I guess I might have misunderstood. Maybe the plan was just that he wasn't, 
He's like, what well do I do? Well yet from his wounds. Well, I mean, nobody's well enough to, to raise the barn and stuff, so he's... Yeah, so what is he doing there? He's just, I guess. He's just stalling. He's yeah. doing what I would do if I, yeah. was, if I was in that situation. <laughs> All right, they, they, the crooked cops are after me. I have no friends or family. Everyone back in, in Philadelphia thinks I'm the crooked one. What oh, am I going to do? Because he's count, early on, he's counting on his partner to get the evidence together. Right. His partner's dead. Then when he finds out his partner's dead, yeah, then he's just got to be stalling. So, I mean, why not just help with the barn raising or yeah. fix a birdhouse while you're trying to think of a plan? Yeah. <laughs> he's probably out there pounding on that birdhouse going, gosh, what am I going to do? Think. Yeah. Come on. You've been here for a week. Got to come up with something. I guess he's kind of an on-the-fly guy because when the crooked cops come, the way he deals with them is very on-the-fly. He's yeah. not—he's he, on—he's hiding out from murderers, yet he doesn't bother to carry his gun around with him. Well, that was—that was at their urging. That was out of respect for these people. Yeah. Because there's that long speech. But I mean, this is what you do. You say you're right. I'm gonna—I'm gonna—I won't carry my gun. And then you go in your room and put the gun in your pocket. That's a good point because. You have, he knows you have, that, he knows that literal gunman, mur- Yeah, murderers are after you. Yeah. He knows what? He knows, uh, yeah, just what you said. He knows that gunmen are going to approach at some point. Right. Yeah. So, but, you know, he does, he's, he's MacGyver in this. Oh, yeah. Grain entrapment. When, when the, the three guys show up, uh, McPhee, is that what? Yeah, McPhee, McPhee, Carver, and then random And then random anonymous evil cop. Yeah. I was sure he was going to pitchfork someone. Oh, yeah, that would have been something. Because like I said, this is my first time seeing the film, and I was like, oh, someone's getting stabbed with a pitchfork. But, which, I mean, he did kill them in very creative Amish ways that I didn't really see coming. There is a little bit of foreshadowing to the silo. But even so, he, he lures one of the cops in there and then starts dumping corn on him. And at first I thought, would this even kill you? Would you? Because how did that cop die exactly? He was coughing a lot. He couldn't breathe from the corn So dust. The, the Wikipedia summary of Witness okay. that's describing the plot <laughs> says, uh, John orders Samuel to run to Hoshleitner's home to safety, then tricks Ferguson into the corn silo and suffocates him under tons of corn. The phrase suffocates him under tons of corn is a clickable link. Really? To the article Grain Entrapment. Oh, no. Uh, OSHA records... Or no, a, a agricultural health and safety study shows from 1964 to 2011, 900 reported grain entrapments. What? And that means they died. Is that what the entrapment uh, this means? Is a, this is a very long article. So, yes, and 140 of these deaths are boys under the age of 11. So I think um, it's not only that it's like getting, it's like there's dust kicking up and it's getting in your mouth and your nose. But then just the weight of it crushed. and the pressure, you're probably you're crushing your ribs. Um, so grain entrapment occurs when a person becomes submerged in grain and cannot get out without assistance. Um, usually unstable grain collapses suddenly, wholly or partially burying workers within it. Engulfment has a very high fatality rate. Wow. In 2010, there were 26 deaths th- from grain entrapment, most of them minors. M- minors? Un- like underage. Not, not oh. minor miners. Not. <laughs> I was like, maybe I've got like the wrong y- idea young people. what yeah. people are doing in mines. I always thought it was ore. Um, so it's explaining like what happens. It happens very quickly due to the suction-like action. You become engulfed. It takes seconds to sink, minutes to suffocate, hours to locate and recover. 
signs of blunt force trauma from the impact. Because it must, it must weigh so many tons. Well, you think about one corn cob, how much that weighs. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be whacked with that. Yeah, and you just imagine hundreds of corn cobs falling on you. Yeah, because that's a really... I mean, it's pretty dense. Like, picture, like, a shoebox full of corn. Just pretty, individual dried corn kernels probably going to be pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Okay, yeah, I take it back, man. That's actually a horrifying way to die. Yeah, and it's a, it was a horrifying scene, and I saw this as a kid, and it horrified me then. I didn't quite understand why... Was he in... Was, was Book in the shadows when he <laughs> climbed to the top of the silo? Because he's yeah. standing on the ladder. He can't get out. And, and Ferguson looks up, and I, I thought, why? He's going to have to jump on him. He's going to have to just let go of the ladder and drop 40 feet onto him. Yeah. But he doesn't see him. Was, was he just in the shadows? I couldn't quite figure out what, what was happening there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, I guess just that Ferguson's a red shirt. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, lowest uh, on the cop totem pole. Uh, and then Danny Glover's death, McPhee's death, is kind of anticlimactic. It is, a little bit. Because he just runs in, and he goes, ah, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And then gets shot. Which, I appreciated how realistic the fight, what the fist fight was, and the death. That's like, true. It was very, in movies, people can get shot like six times. Yeah. And they're still crawling and stuff. Yeah. And this, two punches to the punk, he's, he's got blood everywhere, he's got a broken nose, he's yeah. crying. One blast around the corner quickly to, to, to Danny Glover. He's, he's dead. That's true. And even just earlier on, Book getting shot in the side. Like in most movies, you patch it. You just hold it. Oh, yeah. You just hold it. And then you keep going. And then you, you don't mention it again. In this, yeah. he almost dies from infection and yeah. fever and all that stuff. Does some night swearing. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that. I like that when things are, are more realistic. Because I imagine most gun battles are kind of anticlimactic. It is probably just a guy comes around the corner, shoots you in, in 10 seconds, and it's over. Yeah, not a lot of rolling and, yeah, and, not rolling and hiding behind, <laughs> and hiding behind uh, thin pieces of wood that right. absorb bullets. Right, flipping a table on the side. Yeah, and, and then the, the table, like, splinters are going <laughs> everywhere. So I was fine with that. It, it made them more satisfying. It made the deaths more satisfying. And then the community stands up for themselves mm-hmm. against uh, the evil Captain Carver. And we almost get Vigo again is there. We get Aragorn again. Yeah. He almost says something. <laughs> almost. Comes over. <laughs> there is a really bizarre scene when they're having the picnic after the barn raising, mm-hmm. and he's looking at Harrison Ford, and his lips are moving, mm-hmm. and you don't hear anything. I know. I was watching him, too, just because he's Vigo. Yeah. He's future, future famous movie star. Yeah. I love seeing movie stars when they're not famous. Yeah, it's really fun. Like Ed, seeing Ed Harris a few weeks ago, it's just great. It's kind of been a running theme for, for some of these. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, then they say to him, be careful out among them English as he departs. Uh, nice touching. Nice, he, nice scene. He's now accepted as one of them. Yeah. He should just stay. What's his life like back in Philadelphia? He's alone. He doesn't seem like he gets along with his sister. And that yeah. seems to be his only kind of social you know, family sort of situation. Yeah, that's true. And we, no indication that he never mentions an ex-wife or yeah. anything like that. He's just devoted to his work. And he seems to like being Amish. Instead of coming up with a plan to get these evil cops, he starts raising barns and churning butter and helping out with chores. Like, why not just stay? Much like The Fugitive, when there was a lot that happened after the end credits. Right. It was probably unpleasant. So now he's got to go back. He has killed two cops. 
Oh, do you know what? He doesn't really have any evidence. <laughs> Plus all that time he missed. He's going to have to try to say I, he was on duty. And no one signed off on it. He didn't have a commanding officer sign off on it. So he's either going to have to use all his vacation time or say, no, really, I was doing cop stuff. Do you think he's going to go to court? Do you think he's going like, to have to clear his name? I guess he has to in the you know, sense that the other cop said he was crooked. I mean, I guess as, as far as... Uh, I keep calling him Carver. It's uh, Schaefer is the... Someone at home is like, God damn it, it's Schaefer! The chief? Yeah, the chief is Schaefer. Yeah, no, we, no, all no, those yeah. Amish maniacs out there. Sorry, man. Yeah. But know so you've been demanding uh, this Amish action. So Schaefer, I guess we're just going to have to get a confession out of Captain Schaefer, which seems like he's likely to do that. Crooked cops usually just come clean <laughs> when there's no evidence against them he other did, than a bunch of Amish witnesses. I don't know. He did seem... Well, first of all, the Amish witnesses are going to be the type of witness you want in court. Yeah. They're known for being honest. They're known for being... They don't drink or lie or, and all yeah. that stuff. So that right there is really good, actually. Yeah. But he sort of... I think it kind of spiraled out of control a bit. He seem, it seems like McPhee was really the one that was the murder-happy guy. Yeah. And the chief just kind of wanted money. Yeah, because, he was just looking the other way. Because there is, a, there is a, a scene in the film where John calls the chief and, sa- and gives him this thing about, you know, when cops go crooked, they've lost their way. He kind of... Yeah. So it shows the, the chief has kind of got a heart a little bit. So when he finally kind of breaks down at the end... I, I bought it, you know? Yeah. I kind of think he will confess. Yeah. And then he can spin it, too, th- to put all the blame on the dead guys. Right. He literally could. Well, it just yeah. depends on what, on what Book says, I guess. I'm just worried about Book and his sick time. I just want him to get paid for this two weeks in Amish country. Well, this is my idea what happens post-credits. He goes back for just to answer questions at the police station and literally then just drives right back. Right into the birdhouse. Right <laughs> into the birdhouse again. He has to start fixing. They're on the porch having some lemonade, and they see a car come up, and it's just really slowly coming from the distance. And they're squinting at it. Just plows right through the birdhouse. And, they all, and then he gets out, and he sees, sees uh, Rachel and just stares at her. <laughs> they just stare at each other. <laughs> and then, a horrified look on his face. Yeah. And then uh, Hawks, Hawks, Hawk Leitner says, mm-hmm. screw this, hooks up with an international terrorist organization, heads mm-hmm. to L.A. to take well, over Nakatomi Plaza. Well, gosh, I was. Do you know what I was thinking? So I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because I was thinking his hair is the same but shorter. Yeah. In about a year, it's gonna be ponytail yeah. length, perfect length he's to go high. Ju- a lot of bitterness. <laughs> yeah. What does he hate? So, so he's doing Die Hard now, mm-hmm. and who shows up but a big city East Coast cop? A cop who's out out of his element, right? And he's like, I hate these guys. He's like, you stole my girl. Yeah. One of you. One of your kind. One of you English. Wow, so you really can. You can have a, a, a movie marathon of watching Witness and then go right into Die Hard. Yeah. So instead of following, following Harrison Ford's character, you follow this oh, Amish Carl. guy yeah. who's, who's bitter. We and, know he speaks German, so he can talk to Hans. Oh, my gosh. He probably knows Hans somehow. Yeah. Hans. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so Alexander Godunov... We'll get into the, uh, the bonus materials here. Okay. Russian ballet dancer, friends with uh, Baryshnikov, who's perhaps more, more well-known, more of a household name. Although I couldn't tell you anything about Baryshnikov's career. I just know his name. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's the premier uh, dancer of the Moscow International Ballet, which is a pretty big deal. Wait, the, Bolshoi, the Bolshoi. One of these actors is a ballet dancer? 
Carl from Die Hard. He's a ballet dancer? He was the premier male dancer for the Bolshoi Ballet, the, Holy the most respected ballet in the world. Yeah. Wow, really? So Baryshnikov also was a Soviet ballet dancer who became an actor. Okay. But well, he's, he's unimportant. He's, he's a little more famous, maybe. Maybe not. So in uh, 1979, the Bolshoi is touring New York City, and he contacts authorities and asks for political asylum. Oh, wow. So he defects right there, and that had to be some heart-pounding shit. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Um, so the KGB responds by snatching up his wife and putting her on a private plane back to Moscow. They snatched his wife from New York? From New York. Before it can take off, the U.S. authorities stop the plane. Um, and now there's an international incident between President Jimmy Carter and Soviet leader Brezhnev. No. Yeah. So um, eventually they let his wife go back because they were satisfied that she chose to go back of her own free will. But uh, the, we, there was almost uh, there was some some heat between the Soviets and us over wow, this ballet dancer. international incident. Yeah, over this guy, over this future Amish actor guy. Yeah. Now his wife said that while he uh, loved America, American culture, and long desired to live in the states, she felt too Russian, uh-huh. and just decided to go back. And then they got divorced. His name Alexander Godunov. So this was his first English speaking role. Um, Became a citizen in 1987, diehard. Very tragically, at uh, only age 45, died of alcoholism. Really? Yeah, his, his friends noticed that uh, he had answered the phone in a while, and he, just, he was just dead. So he's a big drinker? Yeah, hepatitis caused by alcoholism. And so I was curious about that. And in order for your alcoholism to cause hepatitis, it usually happens to people in their 60s after a lifetime of drinking. Mm-hmm. You basically need to drink seven drinks a day for 20 straight years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. You need to consume four ounces of alcohol, and that means the alcohol. So if you have a shot that's an ounce, it's maybe like 30% alcohol. So you so need four concentrated four, ounces so of that's, alcohol. that's like a fifth of a day. That's like day. seven cocktails a day. So he's drinking a bottle of vodka a day. Yeah. And still able to, to do ballet? I mean, who knows? I mean, he, d- he did this and Die Hard and then a few other movies. And, uh, yeah, that died, reasoning, died in 1995. That means he likely was drunk on screen for this whole movie. He, he had to have been, right? Complications from hepatitis due to chronic alcoholism. Wow, that's not what I expected at all. I guess I didn't expect him to even be a ballet dancer, so that's really cool. Yeah. Jeez, that is young. That's too bad. I like him. Yeah, he, I mean, I like in the movie that he turned out to be a nice guy. I know you're expecting him to try to kill Book by or the tip end. them off, or, or whatever. yeah, or he's the one that. But he just sort of he he says one grouchy thing to him, and yeah, then, and then shares his lemonade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they even seem like they have a, they say something as he's leaving too, as Harrison Ford's driving off. Uh, Carl's walking by and he stops and rolls down his window for one second. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I did, I, I tried to do a lot of uh, Amish research mm-hmm. after seeing this, and uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to digest. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, I didn't know much about the Amish except for, you know, the song, the Weird Al song in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to share some stuff. So uh, it's, it's a church, it, it's a faith, it's an order, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. but it's not like most churches where there's a central organization, Okay. Like the Vatican, the Pope, and, you know, there's not like a headquarters. 
It's all these communities. So there's 1,800 different Amish communities Mm -hmm. that all have their own customs, their own leadership, and stuff like that. Um, The technology thing, it's not that they shun technology. So they don't just have this hard line, no technology. Um, So if this movie came out and the people that own the farms wanted to go see it, they would go see it. And they can drive oh. in, and they can drive in other people's cars and take the train and okay, yeah, so what it is is they believe that hard work is godly. Oh, see, Second. I told you this is hell, yeah. this would be hell exactly for me. right, and technology makes work easier, so that's why they shun it. They shun oh. things that are going to make work easier, but there is some there's actually a chart online of different like farm equipment <laughs> and what <laughs> whether they can it's use. okay yeah. or not okay yeah, so they they kind of <laughs> Every spring, different community leaders have a little conference where they discuss concerns and issues, and they kind of decide, like... Sewing machines? Yeah, uh, can we have a sewing machine? Can we have a power mower? They can't have tractors, but they can have, like, a push lawnmower, as long as you're pushing it. Okay. Um, They don't like power lines because they don't want to be connected to the outside world, but if they need, like, electronic uh, medical equipment, they can have that. Um... They do have indoor plumbing oh, and, they do. and heat. They have phones that they usually like to share or use pay phones, but they can use phones Okay, for emergencies. So it's, it's Only for emer- emergencies? I mean, for emergencies and just to catch up. Or, okay. or some of the more strict ones is they will have neighbors uh, who are English and use their phone. Oh, that's a nice little loophole. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of <laughs> loopholes. And it's, 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 so it's not just the hard work, but it's also... Uh, so electric- electricity was banned in the 20s when electricity uh-huh. was becoming a thing. And they were just like, let's just say no electricity. Uh-huh. So they never had to have a debate over, is television okay? Because no, no electricity. Oh, okay. So electronics, not only would it connect them to the outside world and make work easier, but it would, they knew at the time that it would become a status symbol thing. And everyone's supposed to be super humble. Oh, so uh, we have electricity and you don't? Exactly. Type thing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So they're not supposed to have anything that puts them above anybody else. Um, they can smoke tobacco, but not cigarettes. Because cigarettes yeah. are worldly, but a pipe is okay. I did see someone smoking a pipe and thought about that. Yeah. I was curious. Um, what else did I learn that was kind of interesting? I mean, what, that, was, what, that was kind of the big one of, of the technology. Because I was so curious about that, is what is the... Yeah. Like, when they were in the car going to take the train, I thought, what's the, what are the rules here? Because they can take a train. Yeah. I don't get what, why is a cigarette worldly? Because it's someone rolled it for you. If you roll your own cigarette, can you smoke it? I mean, maybe you can roll your own. I don't know, but you'd have to make the paper yourself. Because <laughs> you could go carve a pipe. Oh yeah, out of a tree stump that's been hit by lightning or a corn cob. Yeah, they got a lot of corn. Cob. A lot of corn cobs. A lot of corn cobs laying around. Oh boy, you do that. That seems like the logical one to do. Yeah. Um, they're they're passive, so they uh, in World War II they earned an exception where like. The military is not even going to mess with them. Like, okay, you're Amish. Of course, you, like you or I couldn't say we're Amish and I not know, get drafted. I was like, man. But there's a lot of interesting laws that, that kind of had to go pretty high up, like some of it to the Supreme Court. They, they don't want to educate their kids past eighth grade, but of mm. course there's laws that you have to send your kids to school. Right. And kind of that went up, and it was like, okay, fine. Amish people don't have to do that. Um, I think because at the time, I was looking at their population – you know, like 80 yeah. years ago, 100 years ago, there was only a few, like 15,000. It's been growing. It is 300,000 now. Yeah. 
I was like, that's a lot. I thought there would be less Amish than right. there were it, 20 it years ago. It seems like one of those things that would be dying out, but no, yeah, there's but, more. But it, there's more right now on Earth than there's ever been in history. And that, maybe that's just because they don't die of, of the pox when they're one years old. Like, I don't know if they believe in vaccines or not, but that's really interesting because no one's converting to Amishism. Right, I this, wouldn't think. This is ju- it's such a weird little community yeah. on, the, on the outside. It really is just a the, pocket of, of a different world. Yeah, and the rules are different from community to community. So an Amish in Iowa might think that someone in Pennsylvania is too, too worldly. modern, too worldly or too something. Too English. Yeah. Do they have rivalries? Do they ever kind of go to have st- – I guess they don't go to war. They have staring contests. Yeah, they have staring <laughs> contests. Uh, they don't believe in any kind of resistance, including even defending themselves in court. What? Yeah, really? so if they're sued, they just take it. I don't know why they would be sued, but it could happen. Um, there's been one Amish person convicted of homicide in history. He was That's a, interesting. Yeah. Because you think someone bo- born like a psychopath, like we, I, I watch yeah. a lot of shows about serial killers and yeah. stuff. You think there's got to be someone who's born a psychopath in the Amish community at some point, just to, statistically. Yeah. And they are going to really have a lot of fun as a murderer. Because it's going to be hard to catch them. And yeah. no one's going to really put up a fight, and they're not going to have the... It's probably going to get to a point where a lot of them are going to die before... Well, or that's, or that's, would no. they prey on, on people that aren't Amish? An Amish murderer that like sneaks into town and kills people. Because it's happened the other way around. People prey on the Amish knowing... Psychos prey on the Amish knowing this stuff. Yeah, I imagine that. But what if... I mean, the, the, the debate over what makes someone a serial killer is still... It's more understood, but it's still not certain. Oh, and there's like, there's the, you, you know, you're born with a glitch in your brain, plus your upbringing, mm-hmm. plus your personality and all this. So maybe their upbringing, it could be because argued of that. all that, <laughs> even if you have the thing in your brain that would make you a psychopath killer, uh-huh. your upbringing just quashes that out. Unless the hard work you be- view as abuse like I do. Exactly. Yeah, I do not like hard work. So you, you, take, you take born with a glitchy brain, and then you're forced to work your whole childhood. Of course you would be a murderer. How many murderers, either like psychopath serial killers or just rage murderers, mm-hmm. how many of those stem from, oh, you think you're better than me? Mm-hmm. But that's not really a concept in Amish culture. So what, what would it be? You think, so I'm saying, you think I'm you're saying, more humble than me? Yeah, maybe. I mean, oh, you think yeah. you're more humble than me? But maybe that's why they don't You think have... I'm better than you? That's what they're saying. Yeah. Oh, you think I'm better than you? Oh, you think I'm better than you. But, may, I mean, that would be interesting. Maybe that's why they haven't had killers is because they just don't have that sort of grammar in their thought process. Mm-hmm. They don't have bitterness. I mean, because, you know, we're born mm-hmm. and we get cable. Right, and that's a status symbol. That's and, right. Uh, and then you know you see someone who has more cable, yeah. and you're like, ah, those you're jealous, those jerks. Yeah, because there's one thing that makes me enraged is to find out someone has a better package on their cable I hate than it. me. I can't stand it. I'm like, oh, you got the sports yeah. package too, huh? Oh, you you also got the Showtime. Yeah. And Cinemax, huh? Oh, you're enjoying that oh. show with William H Macy on Showtime, huh? Shameless. I can't watch Shameless. Hmm. Have, Deep. You, have you no shame? No, I'm serious though. If they, if everyone's an equal and there's no such, like it's viewed from the day you're born, you're taught that it's bad to be better than someone else, then you don't get that bitterness that maybe leads you to kill. It's interesting. I'm sure there's some psychologists that have studied studied this exact thing. The, the one guy that was uh, convicted of homicide, he had really severe mental problems. He was paranoid, schizophrenic. He was hearing voices, hallucinating, um, um, all that stuff. It um, would it would be kind of nice. 
there were as much as I, I was horrified by by all the barn raising and yeah. stuff. I thought this kind of would be relaxing. You don't have your cell phone. You don't have to worry about keeping up on the news. Oh yeah, you have no idea what's trending. Think about how stressful this year has been. Just lots of bad news. I feel like it's bad stressful news. news. And then you imagine just not even knowing what's going on in the world. You know the equivalent of a mass text. Oh yeah, a bunch of people coming over and having some lemonade. Yeah, and talking about ruptured horse testicles. If the it's only, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, maybe I do want to be Amish. Yeah, they got but, sweet facial hair. The other thing that I thought was interesting is uh, we've, we've maybe heard of the Rumspringa. Yeah. There's a documentary, The Devil's Playground. Mm-hmm. And the documentary posited that Amish people, Amish kids, when they're 16 or whatever, they're just let loose on the world. Right. And they can go bananas and they can do drugs and drink and all this. Okay. And that's, Famously seen in Kingpin. In Kingpin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's not really true. It's, Rumspringa just means uh, it's their word for adolescence. So there's not okay. really a, like, I think... As they don't actually come to town and go to strip clubs and stuff? Right. As English, I kind of thought that was the thing, is like two years of everyone turning a blind eye. So there's sort of a variation of it where they'd accept that youth are going to act youthful and be shitheads sometime. Right. And it's before they're baptized, so they're not shunned. If you're a shithead once you're baptized, you'd you be shunned. But it's not like a regulated thing, and it's not like the Amish youth always choose to go, com- go right. party like rock stars. Like, maybe they'll have a you know, modern American hairstyle and listen to the radio. Right, or go, and go get a root beer. Yeah, seriously, something like that. They do drink root beer and birch beer. Oh, they that's good to hear. Yeah. So, but it's not, and, and again, that goes back to that there's 1,800 different communities that all have different rules, but. Do they drink alcohol? They don't. They, they do in moderation. Oh, they do? Yeah. But not uh, hard lemonade, because that's <laughs> too worldly. Just self-brewed, homebrew. Only homebrew, oh, bathtub gin. At first, I thought they were drinking hard cider. I thought they were drinking well water. When when there was the scene where they're raising the bar, and I had this moment where oh, I was yeah. thinking, "Is that lemonade or is that just cloudy, gross water yeah. from from the well or something?" Like in Back to the Future Part Three, yeah, where they give Marty the the water, and it's oh yeah, it's got it's like, like stuff floating it's in it, brown. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. So, all right. Well, I've learned I have learned a lot more about the Amish than I uh, ever wanted to know, actually. But right, Amish uh, cast. Yeah, but it's but I like you like we said earlier the the demand was there, the fans wanted this. A fan did ask about a fan. I feel weird saying fan. What what should we call him? A, a listener, a, a, a one of the member, one of the English, a, a member of the world champion English community, asked if we were going to do Blade Runner. And I think we've done Blade Runner because we saw it in the theaters. Right it's, when we first started up. I think it's episode three. It's, yeah, it's got to be early on, but we, we have done Blade Runner. Um, so go, go back and listen to us bungle through that. Yeah, and next week will be either regarding Henry. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It is, it's, it's just really weird that we, we're doing Harrison Ford Month and talking about. No, no. We're either going to do regarding Henry or K-19 the Widowmaker because I, I've never seen regarding Henry, and I'm worried it will be too sad to right, talk about. Right, right. I'm going to watch level, it. Depending yeah. on the level of sadness. It could be it could be K nineteen instead. Yes, one of those classics. And then we're gonna top it off with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Right. And, oh uh, baby, I, I cannot wait for that. Yeah, and by the smell of things, the best of the Indiana Jones movies. Absolutely, the antiest, the ant stackamist of them all. But uh, I'm I'm smelling potatoes. That's right. So I think let's, it's time let's to go. Dig into some carbs. So I type in M-U-N-K.